Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture today comes from the second chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. If you're following along in your pew Bible, you can find that passage on page 886. Acts 2, 42 to 47. Listen to the word of God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Father, sanctify us in thy truth. Thy word is truth. Amen. I do love Sundays, and I particularly love Sundays when the orchestra is here. I just love having you all around. Our scriptures, as you know, are an ongoing, life-giving source of God's revealing. You and I pick up these words bound in leather, and each day we find new treasures, new strength, new insights, a new light into our path. And throughout the generations, the power of the Holy Spirit intersecting with the power of this exciting, transforming text has been transforming people's lives. The living God encountered in a living text. But like other sources of power, it is also dangerous. You and I read for for inspiration and guidance, and each time we read the Scripture, we engage in the dangerous task of biblical interpretation. That's right. You and I are always interpreting the Scriptures as we go. Now, I've run across a few folks who said they never interpret the Scripture. Uh, There was a saying years ago, people said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And that's cute. But it also suggests that the only faithful way to read Scripture is with a fierce literalism that has no interpretive space at all. The problem is that nobody takes the Bible completely literally, at least not anybody I have met. Jesus said, I am the door. Literally, that means that the holy and risen Christ is an oaken passageway with hinges. And nobody I know believes that Jesus is a door. 
Jesus has used a metaphor. A metaphor is a figure of speech that's never to be taken literally. She said, I'm just a great big ball of nerves. Well, literally she isn't, right? It's a metaphor. So if somebody says to me, I take every word of the Bible to be literally true, I do believe that he or she is making an important faith statement about the holy nature of Scripture. I just don't believe that what they have said is literally true because we are all interpreters of the text. And interpretation is dangerous. And it happens in at least three different areas. And, and all of these, all of these are on a continuum. First, as I've already said, we've got to decide if something is a figure of speech. I am the door. And some people might be on the most literal end of that spectrum, that continuum. Others on the more symbolic end, finding far more figures of speech than some other people do. And dangerously, those who are on the more literal end get called ugly names like fundamentalist. And those on the more interpretive end get called in a snarling tone, liberals. Now, another continuum of interpretation is truth and fact which is not the same thing. So, all of us who call the Bible holy believe it is true. Not all faithful interpreters believe all stories are facts. Let me give an example. When Jesus was asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus said, it's a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves. He told the story of the Good Samaritan, right? Now, some insist that if, if Jesus said that a man went from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, and by golly, there was a man who went from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves. Jesus would not have said that if it were not so. And others believe that Jesus made up a wonderful story out of, out of his, his holy imagination to express the truth he wanted to convey. You see, both made interpretive choices. Both believed the story is true. Both might even be Christians. Here's the third continuum we've got to deal with. We're forever having to make choices about what is contextual and what is a forever enduring truth? That is, what parts of the Scripture pertained only to the original audience, particular to that time and place, and what parts pertain to all people at all times? Now, this is particularly tricky and all over the Old Testament scriptures like dietary codes before refrigeration, stuff like that, right? How much of that still pertains? But let me give a New Testament example. 
1 Corinthians 14 clearly says, women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be subordinate. As the law also says, if there is anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home. Now, I don't know anybody, not even the most strict literalist, who says, honey, hush, we're on our way into church. Remember to keep your mouth shut as soon as we get in there. If there's something you want to know, let me know when we get home. Some might have tried this and died. I, I don't know any... I don't know any living literalist on this passage. And while, while many use this passage to justify their position against women in ministry, they have still made an interpretive choice that does not take this passage at face value. They have landed somewhere on this interpretive continuum. Since women were viewed as property, often in the first century, important contextual corrections have been made. So, what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to know what's to be read as part of the first century culture and what's to be read as enduring truth? How far can we take contextualization before we've just watered down the whole thing? It is hard and holy work. And remember, no allowance for contextualization. You're a rigid fundamentalist. Too much allowance for contextualization. You're a radical liberal who doesn't believe the Bible. What in the world are we supposed to do? Favorite preacher of mine told, told this wonderful story about he was a popular supply preacher and he preached all over the place. And he preached in this small rural church on a Sunday when they happened to be having communion. And he said they did something he had just never seen before. They served communion, and as soon as they served communion, they sang a hymn and walked out. Never seen that. Passed the bread and the cup. Communion was over. They sang a hymn, and as soon as they closed the hymnal, the whole congregation just walked out the front of the church. Well, he asked his host what, what that was about. His host said, we're people of the book. We take the Bible seriously. It says in Matthew's Gospel that when the Lord instituted that Lord's Supper in the upper room, quoting, when they had sung the hymn, they went out. And the preacher thought to himself, but didn't say to his host, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Why did you stop in the front lawn? <laughs> We're all on a continuum of interpretation and we do undue damage to the family of faith when we label and demean others on the faith journey whose interpretations might be different from mine. 
I was once the victim of a long Facebook rant where I was called a heretic and an apostate. That is, I was charged with having abandoned the faith altogether. And it was because my public interpretation from this sacred desk did not sit at the same spot on the continuum as his. And his public charges hurt me, and in my judgment hurt our church. You see, part of the silliness and the danger is that too many people identify fundamentalist as anyone who's right of me, and liberals as anyone who's left of me, which means I am the only one in the whole room, maybe the whole Christian church, who happens to be sitting on the right spot of the continuum on all matters of biblical interpretation. That's just silly and scary. Okay. So, following the longest introduction in preaching history, let us now get to the story for today, which is just chock full of interpretive trouble. The book of Acts tells the story of how the church formed and spread across the Mediterranean world. It's it's stories of obstacles and victories, Peter and Paul, Barnabas and Silas, the martyrdom of Stephen, the conversion of Paul, the first deacon ordination, the story of the movement's journey from being a Jewish sect to being the church. And they called themselves followers of the way. They were following the way of Jesus. But they had no idea what what that was going to look like. I read across a great, a great quote this week that the writer said, Orville Wright did not have a pilot's license. <laughs> I, I mean, sometimes there's just no precedent. There, there's, there's no earlier story to appeal. So, so the followers of the way formed a new community with new rules and new norms. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Many of them quit work, sold their possessions, ate from a common table. They didn't even label their food in the refrigerator. They just distributed everything and just shared it. They spent time together, temple worship. They ate together with glad and generous hearts. (laughs) So, interpret this with me if you would. What about today's story should be instructive to our life together as an Atlanta church in 2023? Are we to infer that our Christian duty is to sell all of our possessions? Huddle here. Eat from a common table and wait for Jesus. Is that not the example set by the early church? Or are we to infer that this is all just first century storytelling? It doesn't have any bearing or claim on us at all. I mentioned in a recent sermon 
that many in the early church misinterpreted Jesus' words about when he said he was coming again. They thought the second coming might be next week, week after next. And so, so they just sold everything. And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you just sell it all and huddle with your church friends and sing and worship, eat together, unload the freezer, cook all the good steaks for everybody gathered? Jesus is coming soon. Let's sing and pray and praise and eat and live in glorious community until that day comes. But we know now, Jesus didn't mean a week or two. How do we interpret this for today? Any takers? I'll take a stab at it. I know it's dangerous. I know it's dangerous. But as I said, we're all called upon to be interpreters of the holy book. While I think the parts about selling everything and hanging out all the time reflects the early church's expectation that Jesus was coming soon, like really soon, like don't buy a large jar of mayonnaise soon. I still think this passage has everything in the world to do with our life together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of the bread and the prayers. The first church called themselves the way. And they were committed to understanding the way of Jesus and following his example and committing themselves to his love agenda the very best they could. And they devoted themselves, devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking the bread, the prayers, and the faithful church ever since has followed this model in some way. (laughs) It's interesting to me, did you notice there's no mission or ministry yet? Before they could be missionary agents of the good news, they had to be formed in the way of the way. They had to first devote themselves to learning, to learning and knowing more about this Jesus they're following. They had to devote themselves to fellowship. That is, they had to learn to love and care for each other, or else they weren't going to be any good at all doing it beyond the church in the mission field. They worshiped, broke the communion loaf, and tied their story to the Jesus story. And they learned how to pray and how to develop the inner life, the resources for integrity. They were forming themselves to be part of God's love project in the world. And their first order of business was learning and worshiping and praying out, praying and hanging out with each other and caring for one another. Do you think this should inform us in 2023? I do. 
I suppose it's a rather simple mission statement. But every sincere church's mission and vision has somehow been tied to this earliest model. They showed up. They touched each other. They prayed. They cared for each other. They worshiped. They sang. They formed themselves into followers of the way. They shared their abundance so that those less fortunate were going to be able to be full participants in the party as well. And they were in each other's homes. And they ate together with glad and generous hearts. Now, I suppose you could interpret this in a way that had no modern claim at all. You could just explain it all away if you wanted. Not me. I want us in each other's homes, eating together with glad and generous hearts, just like the first followers of the way modeled for us. And if you sit somewhere near me on that that continuum of interpretation, if you think like I do that this actually matters for our church life today, then you've got to make a decision. There's got to be some movement. There's got to be some way of saying yes to the claim the Scriptures have on us. So I'll ask this of you, during the hymn of invitation and during all of this week, would you ask yourself what you need to do to change? To change something about your attendance or your generosity or your participation in caring for others, whatever it is that would demonstrate that you are as serious as the first century church about being a follower of the way of Jesus. And that because we worship together today, you want to take one more faithful step in being formed by His love. Would you consider that as we stand and sing? Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponstelian Baptist Church.